Hey guys, it's Bree. You're listening to Brief, and this is episode one of The Great Gatsby. And joining us on this book is Danica. I'm Danica. And we're going to cover context, characters, and chapters one through four. And I'm going to cover context. So this book was written, well, I don't know actually when it was written. It was published in 1925. I don't know the years that he spent or like the months, you know? I don't know the specifics, but it was published in 1925. So sometime before whatever month it was published. Look it up. (laughs) We're not in the business of telling you everything you need to know. You need to go do some work. We did a lot of work for you. So if you want to find out the month and the years that he wrote it and which cafe he wrote it in, I'm sure it's on Wikipedia. Or in A Movable Feast, and good luck reading that. It's a rough one. Okay, written by Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald, who was born in 1896, grew up in Minnesota because he is a Midwestern American boy. He went to Princeton because he's super smart, and then he dropped out because he didn't go to class. Because turns out he's not super smart. Like, he's, he's still super smart, he just didn't apply himself. Which a lot of people can relate to, including myself. I graduated, but applying myself is hard. (laughs) So yeah, had a hard time applying himself. And then he enlisted in World War I. Again, I'm not going to go into World War I. Look it up. So he, yeah, goes to war, has a hard time, comes back, and is like, you know what? I don't like you anymore, America. I'm going to go live in Paris and write all my books. And he joins a great group of people. They are known as the Lost Generation Authors because, like, his age group is referred to as the Lost Generation as we are millennials. We are millennials. You're probably... You're probably Generation... Is it Generation Z? Yeah, I think it's Generation Z. So, yeah, he joins a group in Paris... They're artistic types. There's Ernest Hemingway, Gertrude Stein, James Joyce. Picasso was in it. He just wasn't American. And they were these expatriates. The Americans wrote their books on, like, critiquing American society. They also all mostly wrote, like, semi-autobiographical works. I mean, a lot of authors write what they know, so it's based on their life. So Great Gatsby is considered to be also semi-autobiographical. The main girl in it, Daisy, is based off of the girl he fell in love with at Princeton named, what did we decide? Ginevra. Ginevra. But we like to call her Ginny for short. Yeah. The character of Daisy is based off of Ginevra, but he doesn't end up with her. He ends up with a fun lady named Zelda who he meets after he comes back from the war. And they have a baby named Scotty. They live in New York. They live in the South of France. They live in Paris. And they just do all the things, have a great life. Zelda is a little unstable, but he loves her so much. She probably had some undiagnosed personality disorders. They were undiagnosed because they didn't exist back then, but she did spend a lot of time in mental institutions. Yeah, and like even in the 60s, if you were depressed, you were in a mental institution. So What a time to be alive. Yeah, like really, we, we've come a long way. Long way to go, but we've come far. And yeah, the book was published in 1925 and it follows New York's elite in the 1920s and is a critique of America in the 1920s. Okay, now we're going to go through major characters. And our first character is the narrator, Nick Carraway. And this is a first-person narrative. 
And basically all first-person narratives are considered unreliable because it's only one side of the story. But at the very beginning of the novel, he establishes his bias towards Gatsby. Like Danica said, Fitzgerald is from the Midwest. Nick Carraway is also from the Midwest. He doesn't come from a super wealthy family, but they do okay. His dad owns a hardware store. He went to Yale, which he's super humble about. And I'm not being sarcastic. He actually is super (laughs) humble about it. He moves to New York in the beginning of this novel to work in the bond business. And he moves next door to Jay Gatsby. Nick is actually the cousin of Daisy Buchanan. And he says that the thing he admires most about himself is his honesty. But because he's so honest, people tend to tell him their secrets. So he ends up being one of the only people who knows the truth about Jay Gatsby. All right, next up on our list is Jay Gatsby. He is a really wealthy hot dude. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, like it could not have been better cast. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'll stand by it till the day I die. Great cast. In contrast, we were sad about Tobey Maguire being cast as Nick Carraway. We just wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Not even him, just someone hotter. That's who I wanted. And I would have been very happy with that. Just not Tobey Maguire, you know? So, Gatsby. So far, all we've said is that he's hot and he's rich, which is basically all you need to know about Gatsby. That's all you need to know. Super rich, super hot. Lives next door to Nick without saying too much. He's very insecure, very unrealistic, really big into fantasy, like his own fantasies, not Harry Potter. Um. (laughs) Although he probably would love Harry Potter. What house do you think he is? Wow. Probably Hufflepuff. Really? I feel like Nick is Hufflepuff. Nick is for sure Hufflepuff. Tom is for sure Slytherin. And for reference, we don't say Hufflepuff in a negative way. No, I am Hufflepuff and I am very proud of it. But I think Gatsby is Hufflepuff because he's a really good person at heart. And he's super kind and brave, but he's not... Well, I guess he is showy about it. So yeah, he's probably Gryffindor. I think he's Gryffindor. Tom and Daisy are for sure Slytherin. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jordan? Jordan could be Ravenclaw. Yeah, Jordan would want to be Slytherin, but she's probably Ravenclaw. So now that we know everyone's houses, <laughs> let's move on. So we there's a lot more to Jay Gatsby, but we can't go through it without giving everything away. Oh, he did serve in World War One and went to Oxford. And he lives next door to Nick in West Egg, directly across the bay. Is it a bay or is it a... Yeah, it's a bay. Okay. Across the bay from East Egg, Daisy's house. And now we're going to talk about Daisy Buchanan. What a treat. Daisy Buchanan is from Louisville and she's very wealthy and very hot. And because of those two things, she basically gets whatever she wants. She also uses her voice to get whatever she wants. It's a unique voice, I guess. It's very low and thrilling And Gatsby describes it as being full of money. Along with being wealthy and beautiful, she's also arrogant and dishonest and pretty indifferent, probably because she gets whatever she wants. She also relies on her money and status to get her out of everything. I wouldn't say that I hate her, but I definitely don't like her. Throughout most of the novel, you kind of think that she's complex 
But by the end, you're like, no, she's super transparent and she just sucks. And Well, it's not even that she's transparent. She just like kind of just like goes along with like what she's feeling. And then she's like, okay, like this is what I want. It's just whatever benefits her. Yeah, she's just self-interested. All right, Tom Buchanan, what a douchebag. Such a dick. He is Daisy's husband. And I cannot stress enough how much of a dick he is. He's very arrogant and cruel. He's extremely racist. And he, like, reads all these racist books but doesn't – like, he just regurgitates what he reads. He doesn't think for himself. He's incapable of having an original thought. He's a big guy. Think of, like, a big football player, big rugby player. He is also deeply insecure and must establish dominance over each person in every situation. He's always cheating on Daisy, but, like, Daisy couldn't ever, ever cheat on him. Like, there's just, like, all these double standards in his life, and he's just a hypocrite and a douchebag, and we hate him. Okay, moving on to Jordan Baker. She is Daisy's best friend. She's a professional golfer and she's super tall and really pretty. And Nick and her have a thing. She is also pretty dishonest and inconsiderate, which I think is just something that comes along with wealth in this book, at least. Which I think Fitzgerald did intentionally. It was intentional. I think Fitzgerald just saw wealthy people in his life as being dishonest and inconsiderate and self-serving. So he wrote them that way in this book. Okay, so before we get into the chapters, we're just going to briefly tell you the themes you should pay attention to as we go through it. The first theme is decadence and excess. Obviously, the 1920s was all about excess, and that's why, well, I don't know what caused the Great Depression, but I'm assuming that the amount of excess in the 1920s was a factor in how they literally had nothing in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, I'm sure there are things that were like beyond people's control, like the crash of a stock market or something. I think that's what caused it. I don't know. Um, But then I'm sure like, the amount of excess people had in the 20s also played into it. I really wish we had a fact checker. Me too. I also wish it was like instant. All right. And then the other, well, another theme, not the only other theme, is idealism and fantasy. This we can see a lot in Gatsby. And the last theme that we are going to tell you about right now is that this novel is a cautionary tale regarding the American dream. And that's all we're going to say about that right now. All right, let's get into the chapters. This is chapter one. We open with Nick telling us some advice he got from his dad. He says, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Nick is telling us this because it allowed him to reserve judgment in his life in regards to other people. And as a result, people tend to tell him all of their secrets. We find out here that Nick loved Gatsby. And he says that people preyed on Gatsby. And that's what led to his ruin. So Nick describes his family. He says that his dad owned a hardware store. And Nick went to college in New Haven, which is just a humble way of saying that he went to Yale. He enlisted in the war in 1915, 
1922, he moved east to get away from a girl that he was dating, and he's super vague about her, but the rumor was that they were engaged. He moves to New York to work in the bond business, and he rents a small house in West Egg next door to Jay Gatsby. The house is super small. It's basically the little cottage where the servants live. He describes East Egg and West Egg here, which are basically the fictionalized version of Long Island. And East Egg is old money and West Egg is new money. And Nick's cousin, Daisy, lives in East Egg and she's married to Tom, a large man who played football in college. And they'd moved to East Egg from Chicago after spending a year in Paris. So they move around a lot. Nick doesn't know either of them very well, but he's excited to visit them. And he goes over for dinner that night and meets Tom on the front porch, who immediately establishes dominance over him. This is something that he always does. And inside, Nick sees Daisy and a friend lying on the couch, super disinterested. And when Daisy finally greets him, it's enthusiastically, and she introduces him to her friend Jordan Baker, who barely nods a hello. Nick says that Daisy has a way of making you feel like you're the only person who matters, which is important to remember. She starts telling Nick about her three-year-old daughter, and Tom interrupts the conversation and asks Nick about work. Tom says that he doesn't know the man Nick works for, and Nick is annoyed because Tom is again trying to establish dominance. Jordan Baker tells Nick that she knows a man who lives in West Egg named Gatsby. Daisy immediately perks up and says, Gatsby, what Gatsby? But at that moment, dinner is announced, so she doesn't get an answer to her question. During dinner, Tom talks about a book he read that's wildly racist, and he tells Nick that white men need to be careful or all the other races will take over. It's important to note here that this was the 1920s and right about this time is when the KKK rose to prominence. So it's not unusual for someone to be this racist. But that being said, Tom is not intelligent. He's just reading this information and regurgitating it with zero original thought of his own. Yeah, and I feel like too... Like, while it was, like, very normal to be racist, there were still a ton of people who saw things differently, saw things, like, more as they are, and were like, no, that's not okay. I don't, I can't say that Fitzgerald was one, but I'm assuming because his worst character is racist, he probably was. Yeah, I would say that he deliberately made his worst character racist because he's, Fitzgerald is not Okay, during dinner, the phone rings, and Tom gets up to answer it, and Daisy follows him sneakily to listen. And while they're gone, Jordan tells Nick that the phone call is Tom's mistress. He's been cheating on Daisy, and apparently everyone knows. And after dinner, Nick and Daisy walk outside to talk, and Daisy tells him that she's become very cynical and that the whole world is horrible. She knows this because she's been everywhere and done everything which is her way of establishing dominance over Nick. She's mimicking Tom in that way. And she tells him that when her daughter was born, she wished that she would be a beautiful little fool because that's the best thing a girl can be in this world. And Nick senses that she's being insincere and he obviously recognizes her attempt to establish dominance over him. She's just asserting her membership in high society 
And Daisy tells Nick that Jordan's a pro golfer and he recognizes her from magazines. He knows that there was some sort of scandal surrounding her, but he can't remember what it was. Daisy tells him that she and Jordan grew up together in Louisville. Then when they're all back together, they ask Nick about the girl that he left back home and he tells them very vaguely that they were engaged and he moved to get away from the gossip surrounding that relationship. Then he goes home. He sees his neighbor, Gatsby, staring out across the bay. Seems like he's looking at the green light on this dock over an East Egg. And he doesn't talk to him because he says that Gatsby seems enthralled by the light and he seems to be reaching for it. Can you imagine seeing someone do that? Do do you need help, sir? You know it's across the bay. You can't reach it. Okay, now Danica is going to tell us about chapter two. All right, things get pretty crazy. Yeah, honestly, I hate this chapter. So one afternoon, Tom and Nick go into the city. And on their way there, they stop in the Valley of Ashes. The Valley of Ashes is halfway between West Egg and New York City. And it's called the Valley of Ashes because it's where all of the ashes from New York City are dumped. So it's just like a not happy place. Like it's very ashy. (laughs) Like, there's probably a film of stuff on everything. It's dirty. People aren't happy. They're not living their best lives there, despite their best efforts. Also in the Valley of Ashes is a billboard. And it's an old billboard that only has the, like, these giant blue eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg and no face. It just has, like, yellow glasses and blue eyes. And he's, like, an old eye doctor who disappeared. But this is a symbol in the book. People argue back and forth, like, exactly what it's a symbol of, but a lot of people kind of agree that it's the eyes of God looking down on America and it's, like, moral and social decline. And, like, I think that, like, the Valley of Ashes could also represent the moral and social decline of America as well. So, yeah, they stop there. They go to a car shop owned by a man named George Wilson, and Tom talks with Wilson about a car he's planning to sell him. So while they're chit-chatting, his wife Myrtle comes downstairs. Myrtle is not a cute girl. She's no Daisy. She's no Jordan. She's no one who is going to be at Jay Gatsby's party. But there's still a quality about her that is described as sensual. And Nick describes her as thick and stout, but sensual. Her face contained no facet or gleam of beauty. I would cry if the same was said about me. Georgie boy leaves the room. Myrtle kisses Tom. We find out they're having an affair. Tom is like, hey, come to New York with us. Get on the train. Like, we'll ride separate. So they ride separate on the train. Once they get off the train, they all meet up. Nick, Tom, and Myrtle jump in a cab. They go to an apartment that Tom has been keeping for both Tom and Myrtle to have their trysts. And there are some puppies, and Myrtle's like, I want a dog. And Tom is like, well, then you can have a dog. So he gets her a puppy, which... I want a puppy, but I don't want a Tom, and I don't want to be Myrtle, so if that means I can't have a puppy right now, that's fine. So Nick tries to leave, but Myrtle is like, no, 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 stay. I'm going to call my sister Catherine, and you can meet her. So Catherine comes over. Catherine is better looking than Myrtle. She has bright red hair, wears a ton of makeup, but is like way over the top, and Nick is like, nah, bro. But he still hangs out there, you know, doing his best to hang in there. And then another couple arrives. And they are Mr. and Mrs. McKee. They live in the same building and they're photographers. They're like an odd sort of couple, but we don't need to know a ton about them. So Catherine starts talking to Nick and she's like, oh, I've been to parties at Gatsby's house. And then she starts 
being like, I heard this, da 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 da. So she's one of the first rumors we hear about Gatsby is that he is related to Kaiser Wilhelm or Wilhelm or, you know, we don't, I don't speak German, but he's the last German emperor and king of Prussia. And that's how Gatsby got all of his money. It's not true, but it's our first little glimpse into the rumor mill that surrounds Gatsby. And then Catherine also, so like this is just like one of those examples of like people just like spilling their guts out to Nick. She's also like, yeah, Tom and Myrtle, like they don't like who they're married to. They don't want to be married and they would get a divorce and like run away together. But Tom can't get a divorce because Daisy's family's Catholic. So, you know, they're stuck together. But Nick knows that she's not Catholic. So now we know that Tom is lying to Myrtle as well. Which is like a classic cheater move, like, oh, woe is me, I'm sad in my marriage, and but like, I'm the victim. So every, as this is going on, people are getting like more and more drunk. So Myrtle starts talking to Nick, and I think Nick has tried to leave a few times at this point, and he keeps getting like drawn in. As much as he wants to leave, he's also so entertained by this scene in front of him, which who wouldn't be? It's a crazy scene, like people, everyone's insane. And then Myrtle starts talking to Nick, and this tells him about how she and Tom met. They met on a train to New York. And then Myrtle says Daisy's name and Tom gets mad at her and says she has no right to say her name. And then things like escalate and build and build and build. And then Tom hits Myrtle in the face and breaks her nose, which we could all see coming. And I think Nick says this is like the second time in his life he's been like truly drunk. So anyway, after that buzzkill, Nick is like, I'm going to head out. He leaves and takes the 4 a.m. train back to Long Island. That's New York. That's New York in the 1920s. You stay out till 4 a.m. and then you work at 8. Yeah, that, not, my, not my scene. Okay, chapter three. So Nick is at his house and he is just observing the guests that come in and out of Gatsby's house. And he says parties start at 9 a.m. They go long after midnight and he sees Gatsby's cars being driven to and from the train station to pick people up. Gatsby has a Rolls Royce and a yellow station wagon. And it's not the station wagon you're thinking of. It's a super nice classy convertible and it's bright yellow, which is super important. So don't forget that. Nick sees caterers come from New York with extravagant food. There's a full orchestra. It's just like the whole works. And Nick receives a hand-delivered invitation to one of these parties that says the honor would be totally Gatsby's if he would attend his little party that night. And Nick realizes that he's one of the few guests who's ever actually been invited to Gatsby's because everyone else just shows up. He compares it to an amusement park. People come and go as they please, and they rarely even meet Gatsby. So he gets to the party, he asks people where he can find Gatsby, and none of them know. Nick finds Jordan Baker, and he sits with her at her table. And there's a bunch of women at the table, and they start talking about Gatsby. And this is where we hear a bunch of fun rumors about him. Uh, one of the women tells a story about how her dress was ruined at one of his parties, and Gatsby sent her a new one that was way nicer, which that's not a rumor. That's actually the truth. But she says that Gatsby goes to great lengths not to have trouble with anyone. And then another woman says that he, she heard that Gatsby killed a man once. One of them says that she heard Gatsby was a German spy during the war. And they all look around for Gatsby. 
and none of them knew who he was. They're just literally sitting at a table gossiping about him. So Jordan and Nick leave the table and try to find Gatsby, and they go into the library and they run into a very drunk man who is gawking at the fact that the books in the library are real and not just fake cardboard ones. They go back outside and sit at a table. There's a young girl there and then a man around Nick's age. And the man starts speaking to Nick, asks him if he was in the third division during the war, which he was. And the man says he recognizes him from there. And then he asks him if he'd like to take a ride on his hydroplane the next morning. And Nick agrees to go, telling him he lives just next door, but he hasn't met Gatsby yet. And the man looks at him and he's like, I'm Gatsby. So Nick apologizes for not knowing him, and then Gatsby smiles at him, and this is where Nick shows how much he actually adores Gatsby, and he goes into this huge, long paragraph about Gatsby's smile, that it was like an understanding smile. He says it was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in your life, and he said that it understood you, it believed in you, just goes on and on about Gatsby's smile. I mean, I I would... I'd have to love someone so much to write a full paragraph about the first time I saw them smile. Yeah, if I'm writing a paragraph about someone's smile, it's the freaking love of my life. After that, Gatsby leaves to go take a phone call, and Nick tells Jordan that he expected Gatsby to be more elaborate than that. And towards the end of the party, a butler comes to tell Jordan that Gatsby wants to speak with her in private. Nick finds her after she meets with Gatsby. And everyone's leaving the party at this point, but she says she's just heard the most amazing thing, but she promised she wouldn't tell. And then they leave the party and Gatsby and Nick say goodbye. Okay. At this point in the chapter, Nick interjects the story to tell us about his day-to-day life, which quite honestly is boring as hell. He says that the parties were rare for him and most of the time he was sad and lonely. He says after a while that Nick and Jordan reconnect and start dating and he says that it turned into something vaguely resembling love he says i wasn't actually in love but i felt a sort of tender curiosity like that's what dating is right we all feel that sometimes pretend it's love i mean that's why our relationships don't last a super long time okay so while nick and jordan are dating nick remembers the golfing scandal that he had associated with Jordan when he first met her. Apparently, she was accused of moving her ball from a bad lie in a golf tournament, and it was a huge scandal. Basically, she moved her ball so that it was easier for her to hit, and don't quote me on that because I don't know a lot about golf, and I should have consulted my father before saying that. Anyway, it was a huge scandal until her caddy retracted his statement. So somebody paid off the caddy, to make it all go away. And Nick remembers this when he catches Jordan in a different lie, a very small lie, but he says that she was incurably dishonest and that she was unable to endure being at a disadvantage. And so because of that, she would always lie in order to make herself equal to or above other people, usually above. This is when Nick says... Dishonesty in a woman is a thing you can never blame deeply, which obviously seems pretty sexist, but for the time, I mean, we have to remember this was the 1920s. For the time. Also, it's like, that's the, 
That, that was our only choice. Yeah, we're not on a level playing field. So, Like if the system isn't going to help you, you have to work the system to benefit yourself. She knows what she's doing. She's smart. Okay, then Nick tells us that he is currently still writing letters to the girl back home that he was engaged to, and he signs the letters, Love Nick. And he says for this reason, he cannot fully commit to Jordan and love her until he's done with this other girl, which it doesn't seem like he's going to be done with her anyway. Ironically, he ends this chapter by saying that he's very honest. He says, everyone suspects himself of at least one of the cardinal virtues, and this is mine. I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. Which is a funny thing to say after you just admitted that while you're dating Jordan, you still write love letters to your ex-fiance. So you're dating both of them and essentially lying. Lying about yeah, it. Yeah, lying to both of them. It's like he's trying to make up for it. Like, this is, I'm being currently dishonest, but like, I swear I'm honest. I swear. Yeah. All right, chapter four. Chapter four starts with Nick telling us everyone who's at the party. Um, and even though we don't recognize the names, they're like the nation's elite, the most wealthy, the most powerful, the big players. So we're supposed to be impressed. And then it's we're in July, it's summertime. Gatsby and Nick go to lunch in New York. On their way to lunch, Gatsby starts telling Nick about his life, which there's a lot of things that Nick is like, maybe not. Gatsby says he was raised in the Midwest and brought up by very wealthy parents who have since died. Nick says, like, oh, what part of the Midwest? And he's like, San Francisco. <laughs> and Nick's like, no, that's not the Midwest. He legit says San Francisco. <laughs> I think so. Oh, he does. He says, what part of the Middle West? San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> like, how embarrassing. I was like the time when you were like, who goes to Malibu for the weekend? Like, that's crazy. Okay. The world does not need I to know this. Bree doesn't know geography and neither does Gatsby. So they're on their drive and Gatsby's like, here's my life story. Again, it's, it's suspect. And then he also tells him that he went to World War I, was like a decorated soldier, went to Oxford, that he has like these jewels from capitals in Europe. And was awarded medals in World War One. So Nick is kind of like, oh, okay, buddy. And like very skeptical. So yeah, he like shows Nick his award from Montenegro. Which like an odd thing to just carry around and casually be like, here it is. Unless you have to prove to people that you're telling the truth. then. Okay, yeah. So Gatsby's like, here's my medal. <laughs> and here's a picture of me playing cricket or some shit at Oxford. And so Nick is like, okay, well, maybe he's not lying. And then he's like, by the way, I have a favor to ask of you, which is probably why he's like being so forthcoming with his past that doesn't fully add up. So he's like, I have a favor to ask you, but I'm not going to ask you. Jordan is later at tea. So they're driving his station wagon, the yellow one that's so fancy, driving it super fast and he gets pulled over for speeding. And, like, all of us, I'm sure he has, like, Nick is probably like, oh, no, this sucks. But Gatsby's, like, cool and collected and just, like, flashes the policeman this white card. And the policeman was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll recognize you next time. Be on your way, as you were. Continue speeding. Do whatever you want. Life is yours. Gatsby says that he has that card because he did a favor, quote-unquote, for the commissioner once. Which, like, any time anyone mentions commissioner... 
I don't know what they do, but there always seems to be some sort of like organized crime around it. Like think about like Commissioner Batman, Commissioner Sherlock Holmes. I'm just saying I don't know who the commissioner is anywhere, but always in organized crime movies, there's a commissioner. What their job is, I couldn't tell you. Good hell. Can we get a fact check? We should maybe have like a Facebook or Twitter so that people who know the answers to all of our questions we need fact checks on can like, hey, that one time when you were talking like an idiot about what a commissioner is, this is what a commissioner is. Moving on. Yeah. They get to lunch in the city and they're dining and then this fellow walks up called Mr. Wolfsheim and he is short and it's a small flat-nosed Jew but I imagine him fat. Yeah I always imagined him to be like very large and fat. So he comes up and he's like oh Gatsby da 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 and Miss Nick this business partner you're telling me about and Gatsby's like no that's not him. He's like oh okay my bad. So they keep talking, and then later on, Gatsby tells Nick that he was the man who fixed the 1919 World Series, which, how that's done, don't know, but... Yeah, a lot of players, coaches would have to be paid off to fix a World Series. (laughs) But the crazy thing is that we just found out is that Meyer Wolfsheim is based on an actual person in real life who was actually rumored to fix the 1919 World Series. I forgot his name, but he was like a mobster. Who knows if he actually did, but that was the rumor that he actually fixed the World Series. At this point, Wolfsheim's gone, by the way. Gatsby's not like gossiping about him while he's there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like later. He says that. But then Gatsby gets up, right? They're like getting up to leave. And Nick sees across the bar. Mr. Douchebag Tom. Douchebag Tom Buchanan, his legal name. So he sees him and is just like, oh, hell. So he introduces Tom and Gatsby. They shake hands. And then Gatsby, like, gets awkward and is like, bye, and leaves. Like, literally runs away. (laughs) Which I don't blame him. Tom's scary. Jordan and Nick have their little tea date. And Jordan tells Nick quite the story. The year is 1917. The month is October. They're in Louis, Louisville? Louisville. How do you pronounce it? I don't know. It's like Louisville, but then there's like, you, you do it the way that the people do it. Louisville. Yeah. I don't know. People are going to murder me for that one. That's probably not right. There's a, there's a way to pronounce it if you're from there. If you're not from there, I don't think it's Louisville. I just think it's like... Louisville. But then when you're from there is when it gets very, like, relaxed. So that's that fun fact for the day. I hope I never have to say that word ever again <laughs> in my life. <laughs> okay, 1917, October, that one place with an L. Jordan is 16, Daisy's 18. Daisy is hot. She is the most popular girl. And her phone is always ringing off the hook because all these boys are always wanting to take her out. She's always dressed in white. Do you feel like white is like a symbol of wealth and status? I think it could be. Because she's always wearing white. She drives a white roadster. They're very specific about the curtains in Daisy and Tom's house that they're white. It could be. I don't know. Anyway. Okay, so Daisy was 18. Jordan was 16. Jordan really admired Daisy because she was very popular. She was always dressed in white and drove a white roadster, which... If you can wear white and not spill, okay. 
different level of human. <laughs> Maybe that's the level of wealth. If you're wealthy enough to wear white and not get it dirty. Then you're, you're in the elite. So Daisy sees Jordan outside her house with a soldier boy. And Daisy's like, Jordan, come here. So she goes over and the boy is sitting with Daisy and he's handsome. And Jordan says the officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at sometime. And because it seemed romantic to me, I've remembered the incident ever since. His name was Jay Gatsby and I didn't lay eyes on him again for over four years. Even after I'd met him on Long Island, I didn't realize it was the same man. So this whole time, Gatsby has been trying to get Daisy back. Is anybody actually shocked by that, though? Did we already talk about how he was obsessed with her? No, this is the first time it's been revealed in the history of the world. Yeah, but, like, did we talk about it? (laughs) No, because we didn't do any spoilers. But he is obsessed with Daisy. He fell in love with her when they were, like, 18. But then he had to go off to war. So Jordan keeps going with her story. Daisy tried to run away one night to New York and say goodbye to a soldier. We assume it's Gatsby. But her parents were like, no, and put their foot down, wouldn't let her go. So she was like, I'm not talking to you anymore. So she didn't talk to them for a while. We do not condone that behavior. Yeah, talk to your parents. She stopped dating soldiers because she was so heartbroken and torn up over Gatsby leaving. But by the next fall, she was happy again. And in June of the following year, she married Tom Buchanan with more pomp and circumstance than Louisville had ever knew before. I said that wrong, but... That's okay. You know, you get it. As a wedding gift, Tom gave her a $350,000 pearl necklace, which even now, $350,000. Yeah, even today's $350,000 is an insane amount to spend on anything except a house. Yeah, but then, back then, $350,000 is what... $4.7 million is today? Yeah. I would be so overwhelmed (laughs) and terrified to hold that necklace. (laughs) Well, you would be. Daisy probably just, it was like another Tuesday for her. Huh. Also, like, I didn't, I knew pearls were nice. I didn't know pearls could be that nice. Yeah, where did these pearls come from? Freaking Atlantis? Probably. They probably were pooped out by mermaids. (laughs) So yes, she gets this very expensive necklace. So of course she's like, sick, I'm down. But then the night before the wedding rolls around, Jordan's a bridesmaid and Daisy has changed her mind. She's a mess. She's a very drunk and she's just like, I can't do this. She's holding this letter. She won't let go of it. Even when they put her in the bath, she just is like clinging to this letter. She tells Jordan to give the necklace back to Tom, which... If you, if you want wealth, if that's something you're striving for in life, what a sacrifice. Yeah, she's like, give this back to Tom. Tell him Daisy's changed her mind. Which, the letter is from Gatsby. Which I don't think is ever explicitly said in the book, but that's what Jordan means. But she holds it in the bath and gets it all wet, so basically it's destroyed. <laughs> which is sad. I would really like to know what that letter said. Like, why didn't you laminate it before you took it into the bath, Daisy? <laughs> you freaking idiot. Why didn't you laminate it? Just saying, Daisy, there are ways around this. Gosh. Um, 
Jordan and the maid put Daisy in the bath and try to get her to sober up. That doesn't work though, guys. Like if somebody's drunk, you don't put them in hot water. They're going to get more dehydrated and therefore more drunk. Your lesson for the day. Yeah. What she needed was water inside of her body, not on the outside. But then the next day, Daisy's up. They're fine and they get married. And then they go on their three-month honeymoon to the South Seas, which... I didn't know you could take an entire season for a honeymoon. Yeah, well, when you are a trust fund baby, you can do whatever you want. Honestly, that would get boring. (laughs) Yeah, it would, especially with friggin' Tom. Oh, gosh. Anyway. So, yeah, they go on their three-month honeymoon. They come back, and Jordan, like, hangs out with them. And she thinks it's so cute how clingy Daisy is because every time like Tom leaves Daisy's like very uneasy and is like oh my gosh where is he what's he doing but it's not because she's in love with him it's because he's a cheating bastard and she knows about it so it turns out that Tom gets in a car accident with his little mistress and that's why they have to leave Chicago because their reputations are ruined and everyone's embarrassed and the woman also broke her arm so it was in the newspapers so they leave They moved to the south of France. And then the next year, Tom and Daisy have a little baby. Then they move to Chicago. And then after that is when they move to New York. Do you notice a pattern? Because I do. Yeah. So then we come back to present day. And Nick is like, wow, what a coincidence that Gatsby bought the house across the bay. Okay, Nick. It's not a coincidence. It was done with intention. Do you think you could freaking catch on? Pay attention, man. When has Gatsby ever been realistic? He thinks San Francisco is in Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) He's obsessed with Daisy. So we finally get to the favor that Gatsby needs of Nick. And he wants him to invite Daisy over for tea. And then Gatsby will be there and they'll be reunited. Which this was so much effort to ask for a very simple favor. Like, hey, I'm in love with your cousin. Can you be a good wingman, invite her over, and then make yourself scarce? So then I can swoop in and steal her from her racist, misogynistic husband. Yeah, but I think it just like shows how much Gatsby's entire existence is dependent on the fantasy he's created. Because he probably was like, okay, this is how I'm going to tell Nick, this is how he's going to find out, and this is how he's going to ask her over to tea. And so it's like this extravagant thing that he has to do because he can't just go up to Nick and be like, hey, dude, I'm in love with your cousin. Could you invite her over and tell her not to bring Tom? That's not love. So, yeah, that's chapter four. That's a lot. There's a lot of things going on, but it's not like an overly complicated chapter. There's just a lot of different storylines. Okay, that's the end of this episode. This book will be three episodes because it's kind of longer. So the next episode will cover the next couple chapters and then the end will cover the last chapters and themes. So be sure you listen to both of those. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.